I'm Adam Coleman, inviting you to the fifth season of The Cosmic Library from LitHub. This season, we go on our tiniest reading adventure yet, into short stories in the U.S. But this too turns out to be almost all-encompassing. I think short stories are essentially brief encounters with felt life. That's Oxford literary scholar Andrew Kahn, who gives us a deep history of the short story. And we hear from The New Yorker's Deborah Treisman, who explains her work as an editor of short fiction. You know, if you are melding with another person, you don't turn that person into you, but you get to know the ins and outs of that person. So, and it's, it's sort of like that. I always feel involved with the stories. We bounce around between the history and current life of short stories with the novelist Justin Taylor. The nice thing about it going out of fashion is that it really frees you up to relate to it in a different way. This being the Cosmic Library, we make sure to go way beyond U.S. short stories, too. Here's the Washington Post critic, Becca Rothfeld. A lot of Kafka short stories, I think, gesture at or describe um, sort of nightmarish geographies or architectures. And the actor Max Gordon Moore reminds us just how wild short stories can be. With a reading in its entirety of Wakefield, the intensely strange, classic Nathaniel Hawthorne story. He had contrived, or rather he had happened, to dissever himself from the world, to vanish. Get ready for all that and more in a season about short stories, small windows into vast universes. It's season five of The Cosmic Library, available soon wherever you go for podcasts. Welcome to the Marist Review. What a delight it is to be joined today by my friend Maddie Lubchansky, who is a cartoonist and illustrator and the associate editor of Ignat's award-winning magazine and website. They live in beautiful Queens, New York with their spouse, and their new graphic novel is called Boys Weekend. Maddie, I, I think my only... I wanted to add to your author bio that both mm-hmm. you and your spouse are incredibly gifted at karaoke. Oh, no, thank <laughs> you so much. No, that's really uh, lovely to hear because that, that's my real passion, you know. I, I figured. So I was trying to figure out how to how to get into this conversation. And I feel like your style of cartooning is so apparent to me that I can recognize your kind of signature look from anywhere and rather than me trying to explain to you Mm. what makes your style um so distinctive i was wondering if you could tell me what you think your kind of signature look is okay okay that's tough because i mean there's a lot of you know there's a lot of artists out there that are very very talented draftspeople and can kind of draw however and they spend years kind of honing a style that's like a personal style or they have like a couple of styles that they draw in depending on what they're working on. But I draw, I'm self-taught. I draw the one way. I'm doing the best I can when you look at my art. So I guess, well, when I, I think the people are pretty simple. They're not like overly complicated. I try to save fuzzy bits for when they are necessary only because I recognize how long people generally are looking at comic panels, which is not very long. I try to convey a lot of motion best I can. Uh, the eyes are really huge in a way that I cannot help. And the heads are a smidge too big, a thing I've never been able to fix. So this is, I'm sure, like a great endorsement of my work is my description here. But 
But like, but, you know, but the eyes, the eyes are, mm-hmm. I think, particularly apparent in Boys Weekend that mm-hmm. they make for, you know, it's like a good actor. You can look into the eyes and, and well, that's where Smize comes from. I guess, that's where Smize comes from. Um, I think, yeah, I mean, I think it's apparent to if you are a reader of cartoons or a watcher of animation, I think it is very obvious to a reader that uh, I watched a lot of The Simpsons and read a lot of The Far Side growing up and when I was teaching myself how to draw. So I sort of like smash those two things into each other at full speed in like the Hadron Collider of my brain. Uh, and I think that's that's what it kind of looks like. I love that. And and of course, I've become used to seeing in your work on the nib and on your Instagram, a character who may or may not share qualities with you. Mm -hmm. And it just so happens that Boys Weekend features a character who may or may not share qualities with you and a Mm. character who may or may not share qualities with your spouse. Mm. That's what would you like to say about that? Yeah. So like, I think it's, it's very different because the, most of my work up until now has been, I guess you, you'd you have to call it nonfiction. Like we only run nonfiction on the nib and it is humor or satire. My personal work that's on like, yeah, my social media and Patreon, whatever, and a website until I stopped using websites because who looks at a website? You know, that that character that appears a lot of the time is supposed to be me. Like that is the sort of point of view of the comic. It is often a very exaggerated version of me. Or when I want to make fun of myself, or generally if I just need a protagonist for a comic strip and do not feel like designing one, I can draw myself very fast because I'm practiced at it. However, the main character of Boys Weekend, Sammy, is like vaguely based on so the book, the premise of the book, in which like a trans feminine person is asked to be their old friend's best man at a bachelor party, and they kind of go to a seasteading Las Vegas, is vaguely very, very, very loosely based on something that happened to me where I was at my friend's bachelor party right after I came out. And it was, I need to keep stressing this in every interview. It was a very different situation. Those friends sure. are still my friends. Uh, I was out to them in a way. Tech. Yeah, like I was, I, I had not been out for a long time. I was not like presenting much differently. It was a very different situation. We're all different people. It was a long time ago now. So it was like, yeah, they're all alive, crucially. But like, you know, I was like, oh, so, 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 but like Sammy's a little different than I am. Uh, they're a lot less confident, not like I'm a very confident person, but like I, I, I sort of tried to tease out the the weakest parts of myself at that time in my life and like kind of like deposit into a person. Yeah, and yeah, they, they do look a little bit like the way I draw myself. Crucially, no glasses. And my wife in the comic, crucially, not in real life, but in the book, glasses. So I think it's pretty easy to tell us apart. My mouth is hanging open. I really hadn't like put mm-hmm. that together. And, I, uh, I also hadn't until just now. So I'm just <laughs> I'm just realizing this is what I did. Um, <laughs> but like you know, I tried I try to do some things that like a little different. But like yeah, it kind of just kind of looks like me. And so we see a wedding photo from the year 2027, mm-hmm. and that is the date of their wedding. Which so we know that this book is taking place. In the near future. Yeah, it's. I think you actually see the date on Sammy's plane ticket. I think it's yeah. the early 2030s or something was what I was shooting for. Near future. Very near. And so the, the world in which this is set, though, 
feels dystopian and yet (laughs) it seems like we're getting closer to that every day so i I, maybe maybe at this time you can take us inside the world of el campo and and how you conceived of it oh sure so i think what was interesting to me about this experience that i had is that i I do not like the Las Vegas, Nevada. I didn't. I do not have a good time when I'm there. The times <laughs> I've been there, it's just not for me. I understand that there are things about it. There's like a weird part of it where there's weird stuff. There's like a neon museum or whatever. Like I know there's stuff to do there that is fun and weird and strange and gay and all that. However, the main sense that I get when I'm there is sort of uh, existential dread and uh, <laughs> like terror and like an absolute fear response. I keep likening it to everyone in my life is tired of me saying this, but have you read The Dispossessed? Yes, yes, okay, yes. So, so much of that book is describing, um, it's one of my very favorite books. So much of that book is someone describing seeing capitalism for the first time. And you, the reader, are supposed to be like, holy moly, this is a totally insane way for us to organize our lives, right? And that's how I feel going to Las Vegas. It's like, I've never actually experienced America. I've never experienced capital and its effects on it. Like, it's just so... And there's something about specifically this sort of everything goes environment, but like it's everything goes with a humongous asterisk or it's like, as long as you are adhering to a certain set of social norms or mores or whatever you want to call them. It's like, it's very, it's very, it's very straight, very, I mean, it's not necessarily very white or anything, but like there's something about the place there that it's like, it's anything goes as long as you are normal, right? With a capital M. And, and as long as you spend money. And as long as you uh, spend an ungodly amount of money. But you can do whatever you want if you want to pony up for the hotel where everything's clowns, you know, like, <laughs> or everything's like, you know, it's, and it's the sort of thing where it feels very, uh, you know, like the last days of Rome there where it's just like this complete orgy of being uh, overstimulated and all this, like literally shit that looks like <laughs> the last days of Rome, quite literally. And it was just sort of, Trying to distill the feeling of that to a person that doesn't experience that or has never been or, you know, just the sort of like really tease out the sort of things I do not like about this kind of place, of which it is not the only place, of course, into sort of like a, an absolute nightmare hellscape. One of the defining features of El Campo, of course, is that it's it's in international waters. Yes. And and so tell me about that from first, like a, a behavioral, like what what we're expected to to want in that kind of situation point of view, but also from a visual point of view. Mm. Tell me about making yeah. a world at sea. So I think the idea of it existing somewhere that is very remote made a lot of sense to me because there's some stuff in there that is absolutely uh, wacky in terms of things you are able to do there. You know, there's some pretty screwy stuff going on and the desert is taken already by the extant Las Vegas, you know, <laughs> and I was sort of, and there also is this strain to the book where the sort of, there is like some sort of cult activity going on, on the, on the Island there. That's sort of like the main thrust of the plot of the book. And I've been long obsessed and, and the cult is sort of like libertarian tech guys. And I've been very, very long obsessed with uh, libertarianism for some reason. Like as a, I'm just fascinated by 
a political movement that's whole thrust is like, we don't owe anything to each other, actually. Your life should be worse. And, and I've long been, I, you know, I, I've long joked about making like an unofficial sequel to Atlas Shrugged where they actually all libertarians go to somewhere where there's no poor people anymore. And like, who has to operate the oven at the restaurant, right? If it's all billionaires and it's the guy who's the least rich and then he, you know, whatever. But so, I, but I've always, so because of that, always, they're very obsessed or they less so now, but there was a very long stretch where they're very obsessed with seasteading as a, as a concept. And it's just sort of like working my long obsession with this idea that you can sort of escape society and put it somewhere new is interesting to me and sort of uh, what I was thinking about. And yeah, I think it was just sort of, it makes the, it feels so much more hopeless and inescapable if you are literally in the middle of the ocean and you probably don't have enough money to change your flight home. Right. So if like everything's bad and you need to get away, what do you, what do you do? Where do you go? You are uh, quite literally surrounded by the Atlantic ocean. And, and, and then, so there, you know, there are, you have to take catamarans everywhere. You have to, there are no, yeah. there are no taxis, obviously. Yeah. Well, there's, there's water tax. I mean, the, the sheer amount of different types of taxi in this book, I think I've, I think <laughs> I've got three in there, three or four. Uh, there's like little, there's lots of flying vehicles. There's like a boat Flying taxi. Vehicles. There's like a big boat. Uh, yeah. I just think I, I also the idea of like a place where all these tech guys can just sort of like put whatever crazy thing that straight up doesn't work on the market with no problems. Like we keep seeing, they keep saying like, Oh, flying cars are going to be here any minute. And what it's going to be is it's going to be a helicopter that crashes that's owned by Elon Musk, right? Like it's not going to be, it's going to be a mass murder event when they get this out there. Right. So the, the, a place where all these like wacky vehicles that clearly that have a high failure rate are in the air everywhere. And even in the midst of the action in the book, we get to see, some of the ads that perhaps Sammy is seeing in Al Campo and tell me, tell me a little bit about them. It seems like you had fun. Oh, I had a blast. I mean, that's very, again, another, not to keep bringing up like the Simpsons, but sort of like legendary background gags in that show. Mm -hmm. that always fascinated me. Futurama also very good at this. And it's a, it's just a really good way to sort of immerse yourself in the world is to just, I like, I think advertisements are a really quick way to sort of set a scene in terms of like what society is like, if you're going to put somebody in the future or the past or whatever. And also uh, it was just a very fun opportunity to like, you know, there's not like a, a lot of like funny, funny stuff happening in the book, but I'm so used to making funny comics that I need to like just excise that somewhere. So there's, you know, an ad for a service where you can engrave the moon. Um <laughs> In the background, you know, like I, I just, uh, it just seemed like it was a nice way to fill the background in in both uh, a visual and also a metaphysical sense. Yes, it sounds and, so much more I, pompous than like I thought of a stupid joke and I wanted. No, to see I thought it. It, I thought it sounded so lovely that I didn't even want to comment afterwards. <laughs> but I do want to say the "Eat the pepper that kills you" ad was was. Uh... <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> that is that is legitimately good i was like yeah you need like what like what would i was trying to imagine every type of guy in the world all right and they go to this place and what do they want when they get there and it's like the guy that like goes to the hot sauce store and buys all the hot sauces what does he want because that's the death drive and i want to i want to accommodate him yeah 100 percent. 
And and so you were very good at, you don't spend that many pages on it, but you are very good at establishing that Sammy is happy at home, has a, mm. a good support system, has, has a, you know, I, I can't speak to the entire or the, um, the whole thing, but Sammy has like a, a pretty lovely life. Yeah. And, I mean, yeah. Oh, wait. I mean, no, you, no, you, you keep going. Okay. I was just going to say, like, I think it was, I think what was interesting to me about that was sort of like, this is not a situation they have to be in. Mm-hmm. It was, was so important to me in terms of like how things were working. This is like very much self-inflicted and something that, you know, there's a lot of stories out there about what, what you know, there's obviously in terms of like trans narratives that we're seeing the ones that we are allowed to see. And I'm very lucky that I'm in a position uh, where I'm allowed to tell one on, on a scale like this or on a platform that I have. And I think a lot of them are about either personal growth. It's all like coming out stuff or it's all romantic stuff. But I think there's all these other sticky parts of your life that you sort of have to disentangle the threads of. And I think like there's very little talk about and like in almost every not even just trans stuff, but like books and movies in general about just like friendship and like what what is required to maintain a friendship. What is, you know, so I think it was for me important to show that like this is a person that is capable of having actual relationships and friendships that are like satisfying. And just them sort of coming to terms with this one that is no longer that. Yeah. And, and and I think, I mean, anyone who's kind of outgrown a friend group can can surely relate. One of the things that I love about the introduction of this group is that there really is no mention of who Adam, the bachelor, is going to marry. Because yeah. that is a superfluous detail in 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 these characters' lives. Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting. Like, there's one little moment of tenderness at the beginning where, like, it comes to. I mean, it sort of comes to the reader's attention that like Adam actually does like his wife or his fiance in a way that like these other guys are just sort of like, ah, my bitch wife, right? Which is like, it feels very cliche to be like, ah, these guys are talking about my bitch wife, but like, I. Until 10 years ago, or maybe whatever, until an amount of time ago, was in these, like, all-male spaces, right? And it is crazy the way these men talk about their spouses. It's crazy. It's nuts. So, anyways. So, you know, it comes to the reader's attention that, like, yeah, this guy actually does like his fiance. It's not like he's checking off a box or whatever. But, like, nobody else there cares. It's not like, like the, I mean, it's also, I think my deep weirdness about like bachelor and bachelorette parties as a, as a going concern. Like I don't quite understand it. And I think, I mean, that's very well-worn territory that like, Oh, a queer person doesn't understand bachelor party more than news at 11. But like, um, it, it just sort of like, to me, that was the sort of nature of the institution, right? Is like, these are just, it's just an excuse for these guys that while hate their lives to go somewhere where there's no rules and do whatever the hell they want um, until they have to go back on work on Monday where they have to just sit around texting again about the next time they go get to have fun for three days. And and some of the conversations that Sammy doesn't quite want to get involved in do all of the cliched 
row stuff, but in a way that feels particularly capitalist. Mm. Tell me about some of the the interstitial conversations. I think anyone who is either has a job or like a more a job that doesn't pay a lot or they have a creative career or whatever. And you start talking to an old college friend or a family member or something. And they want to start talking to you about uh, investments that they have or, <laughs> you know, the, like just anything really expensive. It just uh, starts to sound uh, kind of crazy making like, do you live on another planet? You know, and I, I say this as a person with like a, a decent amount of privilege, but like still I'll go, you know, I'll, I'll talk to somebody that I know from a long time ago. And they're just like, the sort of purchases they'll be making, you know, will just be baffling to me. Uh, so like the idea that like paying attention to the stock market because of my investments or like trying to stay up on the hot new thing. There's a lot of references to crypto in this book because I wrote it yeah. two and a half years ago, but you know, and it takes a long time to print, but um, <laughs> you know, there's um, I think it's just sort of, it's very alienating to listen to that. And I think there's, it's all very tied up with, masculinity in this way a lot of it i think this sort of like trying to be a master of the universe or whatever but in a but now because it's like taboo to be uh like a huge asshole to everyone you know uh but it's like trying to be a master of the universe in like a cool way you know but it's still like it is still this you're still chasing this thing that is fundamentally i think incompatible with like human life you know i mean Sammy gets to a point where they say, like, doesn't this sound like a pyramid scheme? <laughs> yeah. After, after one of these conversations. And I feel like the more we're, I, I mean, it's so funny that you wrote this two and a half years ago because crypto really delivered. Well, we're all, yeah. I mean, we're all, we're all banking with crypto now. Um, we, <laughs> we're doing microtransactions to work on this call right now. Every uh -huh. couple of seconds is another. Point one Ethereum, just to keep our call going, as we all know. Uh, yeah, we all love crypto. We're all using it all the time. It did not crater. Uh, the thing after it didn't already crater. Legs are here. We're all using meta. We're all hanging out in the metaverse with our legs. Um, <laughs> we love our legs. We love, listen, I love to have legs here in the metaverse. I don't know about you. Um, the thing we're using. And then, like, you know, uh, AI is already, I mean, it's not, hasn't crashed yet, but like, if I made the book about AI, it would be done by the time it came out. Like, there's no way to predict what the next like the next scam is going to be. So I, I threw like a bunch of buzzwords together, but one of the words <laughs> one of the words in there is crypto, and it's like ah, well I, that one I shouldn't use. But um, no, it's perfect. Every time crypto um, crashed, I'd be sitting there at home like ah. <laughs> <laughs> gotta wait a little bit longer. Yeah, yeah. And there's also that idea in in the tech world specifically that. Not only are you a master of the universe, but you're like, you are doing something good for the rest of the world by simply by having a tech company of some sort. And I, I feel like that really comes through in, in, in the gray hand vests that we keep seeing around mm -hmm. El Campo. Yeah, like the idea of progress for personal gain or whatever, like what is... You know, there's all this like dazzling technology stuff on the island itself. And it's like, for what? For surveillance, for certain people to profit, for for violence and misery, for, you know, like all sorts of sick shit. And and like, 
And I think it's important to sort of, you know, people, you can call it like Luddism all you want, which again, go look up what a Luddite actually did or was. But, you know, the, the idea of like thinking about when we have new things, who are they for? Who's making them and why? And like, is it even necessary? Should we be focusing on something else perhaps? You know, I, I think the book doesn't get like too much into that in like a deep way, but it's certainly the fingerprints are all over it, right? Because it's something I think about all the time. Yeah. And 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 so in the middle of all of this grandstanding, there is Sammy hoping to have just a back and forth regular conversation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we are also introduced to Sammy's elder queer mentors who, who do weigh in on, on the entire situation. Tell me about the inclusion of, of, of that. Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, that's a good question because it was actually the original, that was something that came to me late when I was like writing the script for it, was the inclusion of these friends, uh, Betty and Cal, that are sort of like, it. it's one of those things where it's not explicitly said, but they are like, they are elders in the sense that they've like been out longer, but I don't think they're that much older, you know? Um, <laughs> it's it's that thing where I have queer elders that are younger than me uh, mm -hmm. because of how this time works. But um, but like the idea of like originally was just like the very solid foundation of Sam's life was just their spouse. But it's kind of like, well, that's that's not enough. That's not a whole life, right? Like I wanted to show there's more to it. And the, and the continual sort of like checking in, asking for advice of these people is sort of like, um, I wanted to show that there was something Sammy was like fighting for, or at least like had some handle on the, they, like they know this is bad and they shouldn't be here. And just sort of, you know, when you're like reading an advice column and you could tell the letter writer, just like, tell me I'm good or tell <laughs> me to tell me to stop, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's, and I think having that was, was good for a lot of character reasons. And so I think this sort of like continual checking in for like an outside perception perspective. So the, you know, the reader's not going completely insane, like yelling at the book also, you know? I mean, and, and of course, Mia just, of course, says the thing that there would be no plot if, if, if Sammy had just done that thing, which is, you know, just talk to Adam yeah, and kind of explain what's up. Yeah. And, you know, it's that thing where, it's not, I think it's something that is changing and it's very, it's very dependent on the group of friends you're in, but I think it is not too broad of a generalization to say that like men tend to not talk to each other about very serious subjects a lot of the time. Like the conversations I would have with like guy friends pre-transition and the conversations I have with like girlfriends now are crazy, the difference, right? <laughs> crazy. And it was always this thing where it was, it was very unfulfilling to me to have those kind of to have those kind of friendships. And I was also, you know, I'm lucky enough that like the guy friends that I still have are friends that I'm able to like have actual conversations with, and it's not awkward or impossible or whatever. But you know, there's definitely those kinds of friends that a lot of guys have, where it's like, well, we both like watching the same sports, or we both like, which is not to say that like women don't have shallow friendships with people. But I think there is this bigger barrier to having a serious conversation with a good friend. If it's, you know, a guy, um, not to sound too essentialist about it, but like this is a sort of. Would like you say broad... that men are from Mars? 
I would say that men are from the planet we know as Mars, the red planet. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and the women, mm, they're from a little place I like to call Venus. I, mm-hmm. you know, but like, I'm, <laughs> there's a reason that society like comes up with these things, right? Like, it's not totally inaccurate. It is a generalization. Of course, I can hedge all fucking day, but I mean it. Like, it's, you know. Yeah. So, what was I getting at here? You know, I, I just, I think that it's sort of like, it, it is this thing where, but it is also, I think, like I said before, a huge failing on the part of Sammy, the main character, that's like, you're not, you could just talk, like, okay, the other person's stonewalling you about a conversation. You could just have the conversation. But a lot of the book is Sammy sort of unbecoming a coward. And and it's one of the other big threads of the book, of course, that we've alluded to, but haven't talked about explicitly, you and I right now. Is, is the constant misgendering that happens because that is the nature of the entire fucking weekend. Yeah. I try to get it, I try to get at this in the books. You know, there's, there's no, this is the sort of thing where it's like conversations that trans people have with each other about this stuff and trans people, the conversations we have with cis people about this stuff are very different. I don't get too much into like the weeds here, but like there, you know, the thing is about pronouns and misgendering and all that stuff is that it is one not the end of the world important two a very important right like it is like the thing that is important is like liberation bodily autonomy full stop like everything else is you can call me a man all you want as long as the hormones keep flowing it's fine like we've that's the the, the first priority is bodily autonomy forever and ever and ever and ever and ever but like the pronoun stuff, the misgendering, whatever, is like, that's from your community and your family and your colleagues and your friends, first of all. And then like interactions you have with doctors or the state or whatever. This is all very important stuff. It sucks to get misgendered all the time. The reason you transition is so like, the whole point of transitioning externally in any way is to like, you know, so people gender you differently. But, you know, I think it's, but if I think it fundamentally what I get at in the book, or I try to anyways, is uh, when someone is misgendering you, fundamentally, someone you know, it is not, it is because they are thinking to themselves, I'm going to do so-and-so a favor by thinking of them why I always think of them, and then I'm going to switch my brain to the other word that they asked me to do, because I'm doing them a big old favor, because I'm so cool and great, and I'm going to say the right word, and I'm going to give myself a little pat on the back. And it's kind of like, well, okay, I obviously have more trans friends than the average cis person. It's a trans person. It's just how it works. But basically it is not hard. You don't have to do any translating. If you just fundamentally alter, you just believe the person when they say it to you and then you've got it in your brain and you don't do it anymore. It's like not complicated. And I I think it does illustrate a fundamental disrespect you have for a person or at least sort of some disconnect in whether or not you feel ownership over their identity is where it's all downstream of this other thing that I think is again, more important. Right. So yeah, pronouns, not the end of the world. uh, And also the end of the world is basically where I'm feeling about, you know? And and yeah, I I mean, you can, I hadn't really considered how gendered the, the neutral, like bro or man or like all of those things that are just, constants in conversation oh yeah, yeah and I mean, the worst especially if you're paying for a fancy 
uh, trip, you'll get a, you'll get some gentlemen. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I, uh, that, that, that stuff sucks. I mean, I will say as a proud New Yorker and longtime New York Metro City, New York Metro City, New York City Metro area resident my entire life. You guys is gender neutral. That's fine. Good. That's actually... We don't we don't have we don't have y'all up here. If you say y'all and you're from up here, you should stop doing that immediately. And you guys is uh, fine unless you're with someone who thinks it's not. But it's fine to me. I don't want to give too much of the ending away. Mm-hmm. But tell me a little bit about the horror in the book that Sammy for sure is seeing and whether we are to believe that it is actually happening or not. Oh, huh. I, I never, that's interesting. I never thought about it in a, is it actually happening sort of way? Hmm. No, I'm saying that's, that's an interesting, I think there's a lot of like the, mm, hmm, mm, I'm thinking now, you know, I think it's sort of like there's, Sammy's taking a long time to believe that it's happening because uh, yeah. they're feeling so crazy about what's going on. But it was, you know, to me, it's a, it was always like fundamentally a science fiction story. So it was never sort of like, the is it real is it not but that's a very interesting reading of it in terms of like could this be a character external internalizing some external circumstances uh into feeling crazy and that's just at the end them just losing it that's that's an interesting read of the book and i don't you know fundamentally i'm dead right like you can that's a great if you like that that's great but it's actually something i do, i wasn't intentionally sort of stoking and that is i think the beauty of the author reader relationship I'm serious. Wow. Like, that's very cool, actually. I like that. I, that's where you're at. Um, well, what a perfect way to end then. But before we go, Maddie, please share some books you'd like to recommend with us. Oh, sure. Uh, I was very nervous about this, so I wrote it down. Okay. So I already mentioned, I was going to mention The Dispossessed in terms of like mm-hmm. an old book that I was thinking about a lot when I made this book, Dispossessed, Ursula Le Guin, one of my favorite authors, one of my very favorite books. Okay. A new thing to me that I read very recently that is an older book. Uh, I just read Embassy Town by Shani Aville, which I love a whole lot. Uh, and it's a very interesting thing. It's making me think about language a lot and making me think about society. I love Shani Aville a bunch, and that book is great. Let's see. Oh, I got. I wanted to throw a comic in there. Uh, one I read recently was, um, I'm going to mispronounce this, but it's uh, Shubake Lubake by Dina Muhammad came out a couple months ago uh also from pantheon uh she is an egyptian comic artist and it's this great sort of anthology about like what if genies were real and they were uh commodified uh it's very cool and it's like a bunch of short stories kind of set in this universe that are overlapping um i don't it was really great i really enjoyed it Uh, and i'm currently reading palo alto by malcolm harris which is just a nice book by a nice boy that's making me so mad so mad every day reading Palo Alto. 800 pages of just being mad. <laughs> just I, like really just I'm like hopping furious, but, but it's written. So like what I love about Malcolm's writing is that it's like written in a way that it's, it's like a lot of theory stuff, but it's written in a way that a normal human being or an illiterate bitch like myself can completely understand it. A simple cartoonist can understand <laughs> marks. I love that. Well, Maddie, Boys Weekend is out now. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. This was wonderful. Thank you for listening to the Maris Review. And check the show notes for the books we discussed on here today. And please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. 